Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Foundation by Story Archives. I am your host, Mario Busto, alongside... Zachary Newton, your other host. Welcome back. We are back with Season 2, Episode 3, our deep dive coverage of The King and the commoner or is it the commoner and the king it's king and commoner makes sense right king goes yeah. first right Anyways, of course it does zach i think foundation is really finding its footing here it's a, it's abandoning its quirky lightheartedness and we've taken on a much darker side of sci-fi and world building with this episode and i'm glad that we didn't record as soon as we did because it gave me a little bit more time to dive into some of the deeper, more detailed aspects of this episode in a way that I got to say, we have a fun one for all the audience out there today with all of the little tidbits I have gathered from the World Wide Web. Okay. Well, I'm excited to hear what you've you. been able to pull together. No, you haven't told me. I, I just, I'm hoping we get something interesting uh, between the comedic bits that we get in this episode. Well, upon rewatch, I take it all back what I said about the comedic bits. I'm totally cool with it. I loved it. Perfect, honestly. Like the whole episode is, it's finally coming into its own. I think it wants a darker universe. We're seeing, you know, you know whether you want this or not, you're seeing just more death. There's more stakes. It feels like there's more political intrigue. Uh, there's a more somber tone to the to the series, not in a way that's overbearing like Last of Us, but. Mm. Um, in a way that's just right. You know, you got your heroes, you got your villains, you got your mysteries, your thrill rides, and your, and you know, your comedic relief with Hober Mallow and the world of Corel and the Was- Wasalian Rift. That's how they say it? I think that's how they say it. And I mean, I think you're right that the uh, that the series is taking a darker turn. I mean, even if we think about the uh, the, the war that I, I think is only inevitable that we see from from the general at this point, right? Like we're, we're building up to it. I think we're going to get a, a much more... Uh, frontline perspective uh, from that battle than we did when, you know, our previous uh, brother day just destroyed two planets in an instant. Yeah. Well, before we get into the deep dive, let's do a little bit of house cleaning. um, And let's tell the people what we got going on here on the Soapbox Network. If you're tuning in here for the first time, we welcome you to the channel. If you weren't aware, we are doing season two coverage through for all of Foundation. So every week we're dropping instant reactions and deep dive coverage usually anywhere between Thursday and Friday for the instant reaction and Sunday nights for the deep dive. And we're also covering a series of shows midweek, including Hijack on Apple TV, which we're going to do a season wrapping episode for that, as well as Invasion Season 1 as we gear up for the Season 2 premiere on August 23rd on Apple TV, if I didn't already mention that. In addition to that, if you're lucky enough to be one of the people in the world who has not watched Silo on Apple TV, we also covered Season 1 there entirely. And I will humbly say we are the number one silo podcast in the world. Thanks to all the audience (laughs) out there. I I bet they miss me saying that, Zach. I think so. We got to bring it back. We're number two for foundation. Let's let's make it number one. Yeah, we are number two at the moment. Well, number two and three. Yeah, we're kind of right there. We bounce back and forth. Nonetheless, we thank you all out there for tuning in. We're also covering Black Mirror season six, but that's kind of at a snail's pace at this moment because we've got our plates full with other shows. Name the foundation sure. and invasion. So we will get around to finishing that eventually because we left off on an episode I really wanted to watch with Aaron Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of you out there also on YouTube, 82% of you or 84% of you are the majority of our watch time on YouTube. 
You should be ashamed of yourselves. Just kidding. No, but seriously, if you like the the network, you like our shows, you know, just slide that mouse or your finger over to that subscribe button. It really helps us on the algorithms. And we thank you for tuning in because YouTube has been um, a joy to see the channel's growth there, even mm-hmm. though you may look at it and say it's minor for us. It's major as an independently owned podcast network. So we thank all of you out there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Subscribe, subscribe, hit us with a nice, honest review. Let us know what you think about this episode. And yeah, have a great day. Enjoy this episode. Awesome. Whew, that was a lot. That was, it was a lot. It was, it was good. I think you covered everything pretty quickly there. I think so. And now we'll wrap up the episode. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next. No, go for do it. You, do you notice this trend with the episodes always? And I think this is just a an observable trait in good screenwriting and, and just good storytelling in general. The title of the episode is King and the Commoner. Mm-hmm. All right. You have Day meeting with Bel Rios, who's a commoner in the sense of he's not the emperor, right? Mm-hmm. You have Hober Mallow meeting with the royalty on Corel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just have like this juxtaposition between, you know, commoners and kings. So it's like there's always like these branching storylines. And then you have Harry, who's I would consider him a commoner compared to the Prime Radiant, you know? Like yeah, Gale. I Gale as well. So there's kind of like this element where you're seeing the same theme across the three storylines and that's how they kind of connect everything Mm -hmm. together, which is always enjoyable to watch. But what do you think in terms of the overall episode? And then we'll start getting into our recap here. Overall, I think it was good. I don't know if I would say this is my top favorite yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not... I'm still in the boat of I'm not the biggest fan of the comedic bits that we get, but I'm curious to see if you can change my mind today uh, as we talk through this episode. I I do like the more serious element of it. Mm-hmm. I like that, you know, the, the show is becoming a little more human. It's just like like everybody just seems a little less royal as they did in the uh, in the first season. It was just a little too polished like their character was. Yeah. Um, but, you know, out, outside of that, I'm, I'm liking the show. I'll do my best to sw- to sway you over to my okay. side in terms of All the right. comedic bits. It has a little bit to do with who Hober Mallow is and the approach that the showrunners are taking to condense the series, like the actual novel series mm. or short of short stories into this episodic series on television. But we begin the episode on the planet of Una's world, not Ignis, as Salvor and Gale both thought they were on their way towards because Harry has commandeered the ship, the beggar to take them to Una's world, which I, for one, was glad that we are not going to be teased as to what is, what was in store for him on this planet because, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of television shows might, you know, might have left this for episode eight or nine, you know, mm-hmm. and drag it out. But here we are in episode three getting it, which is nice, right? It's nice. Yeah. And we have classic Harry here with, you know, always a plan of his own that he doesn't want to tell anybody. Interesting enough, this plan of his... As much as he knows, he's on this planet and, and knows as much as Gale does. All he knows is that he's been told to come here. So mm-hmm. it's probably the least informed we've seen Harry in in all of the series so far. Um, but naturally, he still distrusts Gale. And I think it has a little bit to do with Gale's to me, point like pointless fighting at this point, mm-hmm. resisting the plan, you know? She's you know, as they say, you know, move on from the, you know, from the milk and move on to the solid foods, right? 
Okay. Gail is still like in the elementary principles of understanding psychohistory when she knows damn well what Harry's trying to do. And they're going back and forth here. They're all in disagreement on this ship, right? Mm-hmm. Gail's obsessed with her vision of seeing Salvor dead 150 years from now. And so she's focused in the future on this one particular event. And as Harry says, applying a massive amount of force in the present to try to avoid that outcome. While mm-hmm. Salvor is coming to grips with this, right? Because she knows one thing about Gail. She knows that all of Gail's dreams and visions have come true in the past, yeah. right? So she's kind of coming to terms with the fact that, you know, okay, so what I die, it's going to be 150 years from now. I'm dying mm-hmm. on a battlefield to try to save humanity. I mean, mm-hmm. there's worse ways to go. Yeah. While Gail is stubborn on it, which in my opinion, I wrote, did Gail, was it best for Gail to even tell Salvor about this vision or to rather hold on to that for a little bit? I mean, it's that's a terrible thing to be told of how you're going to die, you know? Yeah, but I don't think Salvor is the kind of person that would care, you know, either way. I like, agree. And she <laughs> she's here as the daughter consoling the mother, Yeah, you know? Yeah, though she is technically older than her mother at this point. True. Gail She's is had still... more life lived. True. Very true. Did you notice Gail has the marks on her neck? Did those marks come from the mule in the future vision? Because it's like a grip on her neck. It looks like I, she's been choked. I did um, notice the marks. Do you think that the mule's marks came back with her? I, I'm almost positive they confirmed that last episode, but you can still see those grip marks on her neck, which is interesting. It is interesting. I'm not quite sure, to be completely honest. I, I don't know. Maybe she was like grabbing her neck when she was suffocating and somehow did that to herself. But mm-hmm. I mean, we're led to believe that the mule knows that she's from a different time, right? In that vision. So maybe it's possible that she's able to kind of be impacted by something like that. Yeah. Well, we know the mule is able to see who's looking at him mm-hmm. from the past, right? So perhaps he's able if he's if his grip marks are able to pass through time to the past could he not as some commenters on youtube and through email have been concerned about could the mule have hijacked the vault in any way that um could manipulate for example like the whole hober mallow incinerating uh the warden mm-hmm. right could that whole situation have been a cause of the mule himself I, I'll tell you, I would not be surprised if it was because the, the comment that I had when we watched the last episode was that um, I, I had thought for a moment that the, uh, the vault was hijacked, right? Like I, I thought like, okay, something's kind of like taking over and is actually doing this because like, they, they have destroyed the vault. It looks like, I mean, at least writing the name in it, it did not feel like Harry to me. Yeah. Let's pause for a second here. Because I want to make a point about Gale and this, this, there's, there's not a reconciliation yet between Gale and Harry. Harry, for one, irrationally blames Gale for some of the things that she's done. For example, witnessing his death, that really isn't Gale's fault. But stealing the knife and trapping Harry inside of the Prime Radiant is Gale's fault. Yes. Right? So he's understandably mad at her for that. And she's understandably mad at him for pretty much keeping her in the dark while needing her as a key vessel and, as he says, the only psychohistorian he wanted on Terminus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't seem very trustworthy. But look, no. I mean, if I were locked away for like 150 years, I'd be, I'd be pretty pissed too. 
Well, that's the concern in this episode of Gale and Savor is that they don't trust this version of Harry. Mm-hmm. And Gale's not entirely certain that he hasn't lost his mind completely because he's, by Harry's own words, being isolated for that period of time could drive any man insane, right? Yeah, especially in some weird, like, five-dimensional world or whatever they were in. I'm not sure if there's going to be growth. I know, let me not say I'm not sure. I think there almost certainly will be growth in Gale's character in accepting the unexplainable. Mm-hmm. But Harry in the season opener essentially says that he's his mind has never been closed off to difficult questions or to scary questions or dangerous questions, mm-hmm. right? And so here he is, somebody who pretty much puts all things in the psychohistory plan, adapting his mindset to accept the existence of this prime radiant being, Kale, in the form of Kale that they see mm-hmm. uh, in this episode and who he saw in his little quantum consciousness within the actual radiant itself. But... Gail, on the other hand, essentially makes the comment that she cannot trust anything that she can't verify. She insists the model of psychohistory is adaptive, not omniscient. So she doesn't believe Harry's reasoning for coming to Una's world. So it kind of reminds me of this, of people out there who, who believe that they can only believe in something that can be verified mm-hmm. rather than the possibility of something that exists that transcends the measurable, which Harry is finding out. This is somebody who you wouldn't necessarily think would leave things up to the transcendent or the spiritual side of things, yet he seems to be uh, believing in Salvor and Gale's gift of intuition, right? Mm-hmm. Which is something on a different, like, spiritual kind yeah, of Yeah, very much so. Right? And it just goes back to what he said, that he doesn't avoid those dangerous or scary ideas, right? But Gale is doing that here, although I think we see her at the end of the episode slowly coming to terms with something deeper going on here. And I have a comment at the very end of the episode. Maybe you'll remind me to say it, but it has something to do with the Radiant itself. I'm not even sure the Radiant is any sort of specific gender, to be honest with you, because mm. it seems like just like a being. It's not even really Kali. She's just taking the form of Kali, right? Yeah, it's it's like she's taking the form of, of something you know so you can like relate to it and communicate with it. That, that's kind of the way that I... I'm understanding this. I, I don't think it's anything specific. It's just like whatever your your mind can understand it to be, potentially. Yeah. Well, Gail eventually concedes after Salvor throws the damn radiant into the desert and uh, decides to take Harry over to um, this giant-ass <laughs> statue of a man that they that hike easily would have taken three or four hours. I'm, there's no way that they do that in, in such a way that the daylight is just the same. Anyways. No. Let's go to Terminus. If you can rewind it back a little bit to Cermak's layer of just doom and gloom. I don't understand what this cloaked figure is behind the director of the foundation, Cermak's chair. It literally looks like the Sith is always looming behind him. It does. It just looks like a dark statue or something. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's like a, a statue of Hugo or something. I'm going to always consistently bring this show back to Game of Thrones because I think that is the, the staple in terms of world building phenomenon that took over the world for a period of time. Mm-hmm. This period here, or this scene here, reminded me of Tywin Lannister at the, like at the, at the round table, pretty much. It reminds me of this, I know you can't relate, Zach, but Cermak no. reminds me of a Tywin type as, uh, as he has his you know, minions or his advisors helping him here. Uh, and really what they're arguing about, or the table split, Pauly Verisoff, the head of the Church of the Galactic Spirit, mm-hmm. he is essentially saying that this was a judgment from Harry Seldon, 
that the warden was incinerated because he doesn't like the direction that the foundation is going in. While Cermak's character seems to be of the mindset of perhaps maybe this Selden isn't the kind of guy we should be following if he's going to incinerate the guy who's responsible for protecting the planet. Yeah. I mean, whose side would you be on here? Personally, um, I don't, I feel like the one guy alive who actually witnessed Selden coming back should have been the guy who goes to the vault. In mm-hmm. fact, why bring him to the planet in the first place? Yeah. With that being said, it seems like Cermak has a different agenda for the foundation. And I said it when, before it happened, when this, before the guy was incinerated, in my notes, I literally put that this guy's like egomaniacal, this mm-hmm. warden, you know, who was very self-serving. And a lot of Redditors out there seem to agree about the warden Jaeger being a bit self-serving, ego-driven, and perhaps that's the reason he was incinerated. But perhaps Harry wasn't the one who incinerated him. That, I mean, I still think that's a possibility, to be completely honest. I don't know that it would be Harry. Um, because this, I mean, this version of Harry, I don't think really cares too much about how this foundation grows up. Like, that's the whole point of the second foundation is to have a different group of people that are, you know, being slightly course corrected over time. So I, I don't know if it is Harry or not, to be honest. Yeah. If you can pause for a second. It's in the scene that we're at the round table that we get um, essentially the the confirmation that Hober Mallow actually exists as a person because yeah. at the end of last episode, I didn't really realize, some of the viewers out there did realize that Paulie had this look of somebody who, who knew the name Hober Mallow, but as far as I knew, I thought Hober Mallow was somebody nobody knew. So I, 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 this is the scene that we get the confirmation that he's somebody who's considered blood poor, so a commoner, right? Mm-hmm. And he's also considered a jerk by Polly, pretty much. He calls him an a hole. And uh, <laughs> it, I still don't understand where the roots come from. Although once you see Hober's personality a little later in this episode, you could see how he could uh, maybe rub some people the wrong way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I. Uh... I, I can't help but think of Han Solo when I see Hober Mallow. Well, I have a note about that. And it's, I think you should think about, you can't help but see Hober Mallow when you see Han Solo. Because well, yeah, Han Solo, well, just so you know, after this. Han Solo is, in, from what I've been reading online, he is almost entirely uh, inspired by Hober Mallow and another character who is combined into the character of Hober Mallow. Which we yeah. can we can talk about that now if you want, or we can eh, let's tease it for later. Okay, tease it for later. We have uh, another the pretty much the plan here is to go get Hober Mallow, right? Yeah. And to walk him into the vault. Although the leadership of the foundation is not sure whether this is a warning or a request. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, I, up till now we don't know either. We don't no. know what's going to happen to Hober if they walk him into this vault. To be honest with you. I kind of wonder like what on earth this guy could do anyways, right? Like is is he somehow like the chosen one at this point? I, I don't quite get that. And I, if this is Harry, by the way, that's asking for him, I have like, I'm generally confused or genuinely confused, I should say, about how he even is aware of this other individual. Because for for a moment, I was like, okay, maybe this is like, an older guy, you know, from the time of when he had last emerged, Harry last emerged, but does not seem that way. 
Yeah. Did you notice um, there's two tests in this episode, right? By let's just call Sir Mac like the king of the foundation right now. Okay. Okay. Played by Oliver Chris, which by the way, I love his character. Fantastic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Day gives Bell Rios a test. He yeah. says, strike me or don't strike me. That's, that's the test. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to tell you which one's going to give you everything that you want. The test for Polly is un is really just a simple request for if Polly wants a drink mm-hmm. at this table. And if you notice, Polly refuses to drink. Yes. So we know Polly has an issue with uh, substance abuse, or so we see in his introductory introduction. Makes me wonder, but I do like Cermak. We're not seeing a ton of Cermak, nor what his motivations are yet. Mm-hmm. But I would hope that we do eventually see that. Yeah, I, same here. I, I we haven't seen much. Uh, of anybody's perspective like we're kind of just thrown into this world we're still learning uh what powers are really at play here yeah and before we leave this scene and move on back to um una's una's world right yeah una's world yep sounds like like something so cheesy like i know um freaking what's that what's that that movie the comedy movie called uh something's world wayne's world wayne's um Polly talks to Constant, who's the nameless cleric that we find out her name is Constant. Mm-hmm. Hober was trained for the priest. There's a little background on him. Trained for okay. the priesthood, but was too much for the Reverend Fathers. So he's rebellious. Mm-hmm. So he trailed Polly's missionaries. Then he sold religious paraphernalia and fake relics. So he has no regard for religion and for the status quo of what's going on. He sold 38 of Selden's finger bones before the foundation revoked his trades license. <laughs> The unnamed, okay. Then Constant asks, why would Harry request a guy like this? Yeah. And Polly reiterated that Harry's a man and he liked a good joke. I don't know how he would personally know that about Harry, but he reiterates that Harry was a man after all. He wasn't, a, he's not a god. Yeah. So he would have a sense of humor. Anyways, we also get the, the tagline for Hober, which should be a man who views any prohibition as a personal challenge. If it's forbidden, Hober traffics in it. So I think that's the character who becomes a fan favorite for everybody, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I, I like him now that I've seen a bit more of him. When, when I was first introduced to him in this episode, I wasn't quite a fan. I was just like, all right, a little cheesy. The introduction was a little cheesy and all of that, but he's growing on me. I, 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 think, I think he's going to be the point of a lot of, a lot of laughs. <laughs> yeah, well, I think he'll he'll serious it up. I just think that he is the um, the charming character, the the Nathan Drake, the Indiana Jones, the mm-hmm. you know um, not James Bond, but somebody who's like comedic, like kind of the punchline guy, right? But yeah. at the same time, like Chris Pratt, Guardians of the Galaxy, that type of character. Okay, A Tyrion Lannister type, you know, Game of Thrones reference again, you know that kind of thing. Maybe more of a fighter, but. His speech, literally, when he's about to get executed, reminds me of uh, Tyrion's speech on the veil when he's about to get thrown through the moon door. But um, back to Una's world. Harry and Gil make their way to the direction that Harry seems to have like hard-coded in his brain, mm-hmm. his digital brain of where to go. And I get a correction, as, or at least an explanation, thanks to the viewers out there who gave it first before I even rewatched. The planet is extinct or without any life because the mining devices turned on the people. So yeah. once it finished draining the planet of Palladium, it turned against the people. 
which leads to Harry calling the emperors hollow men who hollow out their worlds. Yeah. I don't know why uh, they would turn on the people or why the emperor would want them to turn on the people other than just, I don't know, <laughs> destroying any any potential life out there that, I don't know, maybe would turn against them at some point. It, is it that or... I start, you, that's a good question because I was thinking the same thing. Why here? If they were useful to you, what's the point of eradicating these people? It doesn't seem like the emperor just eradicates people for no reason. I'm not saying he's not evil. I'm just saying to eradicate a whole planet that could serve him in a different way might be more useful. Could it be that these people developed some sort of technology that needed to be eradicated completely? Hence, Harry giving given a freaking physical body at the end of this episode? Maybe. I mean, that would be interesting. Um, you know, I, I was just kind of thinking, well, if the planet loses its value, if there are people here, they also have to govern this planet as well. Maybe they just didn't want to want to deal with another planet. I, I can't really venture to guess beyond uh, beyond that at this point. Yeah, I, I would have to agree or relate <laughs> to you there. Harry and Gail make their way to the entrance to Kali's cave. Let's just call it that. And they disagree along the way which about what I was talking about earlier, which is Gale's approach to Salvor's destiny and Harry's approach to Salvor's destiny. Gale really doesn't know what action... She, she can't possibly know what she can alter in the present that could change the future. Mm -hmm. But Harry is pretty resolute in saying he makes small changes in the present to adjust large events in the future. Which, by the way, pretty solid advice for life. Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> You can't really do too much just uh, trying to, to change one tiny event. <laughs> you can just course correct and pivot along the journey. I, I agree. He yeah. also does mention though that the future may be immutable. So I don't know like if the visions that uh, Gale has is like locked in, like can that actually change? Yeah, I I think it's a very interesting point, and that kind of leans to my point at the end of this episode that I have too. You're kind of getting there, or maybe we came to the same conclusion. Okay. Thought. Uh, emailer points out a fantastic note. The crew did a great job of leaning into Harry as a hologram. Notice Gale leaves footsteps while Harry does not as they're walking. Okay. Little things like that that they, I guess they touched up in post or, or did something interesting with, but... And yeah. then he also says that Harry's hair gets blasted back by a gust of wind, so it took him out of it completely. That yeah. must be a major headache if you're thinking about it from a crew standpoint, because how do you show a hologram while keeping like a physical body there? You know, it's yeah. very difficult to not show him altered at all by any of the circumstances on set. Yeah, I would imagine, especially when walking out in a desert. I'm sure there's there's quite a bit of breeze potentially. Yeah. I think it's safe to assume that Harry's operating at a higher sense of consciousness at this point when he's able to just know what planet to go to. Obviously, he was told the planet, but know mm -hmm. the exact spot of the planet to go to. He's on a different plane of consciousness, as we all know by now. Yeah, I almost felt like he had been there before or something like that. This is going to be the episode I annoy people with all the Game of Thrones references, but when we go to the Lepsis penal colony and meet uh, Bel Rios as Demerzel comes to this planet to recruit him, the score changes to a very somberish. Empire theme now because we're going to the Empire side of the story mm -hmm. and it feels very much like Game of Thrones when the Lannisters are in charge. It just does. I'm, it cannot be a mistake. If I had David Goyer in front of me, I would ask him. I'd say, hey, what's the inspiration here? What was the score? What did you say to Bear McCreary when this was composed? <laughs> 
All right, we meet Borios, who's definitely a guy who cares about his crew. The reason he's in this colony in the first place is because he demanded a safer route for his sailors. This guy puts duty above any personal preference, so much so that he was willing to risk his husband uh, in an effort to show his duty or his loyalty to his emperor later in this mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. He seems pretty loyal to me. I mean, I, I would, I'd want him on my side. Is this the closest we see Demerzel back to season one Demerzel when she comes to this planet? Probably. I feel like everything at this point has just been uh, in, the, in the palace up till now. This bit of Demerzel reminded me of early in season one when they were going and investigating who blew up the star bridge. Yeah. It, she has that classic posture of Demerzel, hands uh, crossed over each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost hiding in her sleeves, right? Yeah. And we get an introduction to Bel Rios, who's an honorable character, serving out what seems to be a lifetime <laughs> lifetime uh, prison sentence, mining Opal, Opalesk, according to the Spacer later mm-hmm. in this episode. Now, I don't know what Opalesk does, but apparently has some sort of connection to the Spacer, according to She Bends Light later on when he has his little... Uh, Re- reuniting yeah. moment with Reunite, part of yeah. his crew. Yeah. 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 Now, this is perhaps my favorite scene in the entire episode is this because it's just a negotiation from the beginning we get um, introduced to Bell Rios, right? Mm-hmm. Now, this, uh, this actor, Ben Daniels, who plays him, upon rewatching yeah. this, because I didn't really, in the instant reaction as I'm taking my notes, Man, he killed it. Uh, fantastic actor. Just look at the emotion in his eyes when he finds out that Glaywin is alive, potentially. It's just mm-hmm. a he goes from tough guy to, okay, my negotiating chips are off the table now, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just a pure negotiation scene, right? Because we know that if he says no, he's going to get killed. He knows it and he's not scared of death. And yet he uses the opportunity to at least get as good of a result for his sailors as he possibly can. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think I think he did a great job in this episode. I really like the character. Uh between Belrios and Hober Mallow, I'm liking Be- Belrios a little bit more right now. Even though he, he's on probably the wrong side here. Yeah. Um I I think the character is great. I like him. The acting was phenomenal. Yeah. Did you notice <clears throat> when he doesn't believe uh Demerzel about Glewin being alive? Can you put subtitles on? Yes, I can. Thank you. Um, she says a line that says, I know hope is painful. You don't have to hope. Just come with me. I put first, I wrote a couple side notes here. I put, how can robots hope? Mm-hmm. Where is this coming from? What is she referring to when she says hope is painful? What is she hoping for? Uh, I think we have some hints at that, but I just yeah. continue to, to just wonder about what Demerzel's thoughts are in this season. Well, I mean, I, I still had that from last season too. Like there's things that it's just hard for me to, to grasp with the, you know, understanding that she is a robot, like to hope for something, to believe something. It just, it kind of feels odd to me. Like that's not what a robot is in my mind. I, I feel like the robots in this universe are, they're really more like mechanical people. Like, they seem to be living living beings were, were led to believe that she has a soul in the last mm-hmm. season, which is yet again, one of those other things where it's just like, okay, that's just completely breaks the idea I have of what a robot would be. Yeah. Zephyr Halima 
before she's poisoned by, can you pause for a second? Mm-hmm. Before she's poisoned by Zephyr, uh, Zephyr poisoned by Demerzel, she pretty much, whether she's pleading for her life to get out of the situation or not, she seems sincere in saying that Demerzel potentially has a soul. Yeah. She wasn't as concrete about Day's lack of one. Um, she was actually open-minded to it. Now, first interesting tidbit, if you made it this far into the episode, you get it. Nobody else gets it but you. And this is probably my favorite tidbit of the episode. Okay. I did not know. Isaac Asimov, when writing the character of Belrios, drew heavy inspiration from General Belisarius. Now, the characters we can assume as the current iteration of day in this season of Foundation, mm-hmm. okay? The characters of Cleon and Belrios in this story are based on those of the historical Roman Emperor Justinian I and his General Belisarius. Their story was familiar to Asimov from his recent reading of Robert Graves' novel, Count Belisarius, and one of his earlier studies of Edward Gibbon's History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, on which the entire series is loosely based. Now, Belisarius is known as the last Roman general of sorts. Hmm. He's somebody who Justinian, according to history, Mm -hmm. pretty much didn't exile, but turned his life into a beggar, supposedly took his eyes, you know. Uh, was somebody he didn't trust. It was always that threat of a coup because the people loved, he had pretty much the army on his side. So he was always concerned about a coup yeah. occurring. And that's the same uh, kind of trait here with um, Belrios. We know he is an independent thinker, but we know he, at the end of the day, is first and foremost, most concerned with his uh, soldiers, right? And the yeah. well-being of winning, right? So he's willing to take on criminal persecution, to disobey his emperor, to do the tactic that will win the battle mm-hmm. and take the punishment knowing his emperor is an arrogant SOB who's mm-hmm. going to punish him. for. So he's an honorable guy. Um, and it's the same character of Belisarius, which is interesting. I knew you would probably enjoy that one as a history buff yourself. Yeah, no, I, I like that. It's also, I mean, we, we even hear that later in this episode when I believe it's Glaywin talking to uh, Belrios in the in the ship, like before they go yeah. and take off, it was like, oh, the Empire is always going to be afraid of a coup. Yes, totally. He's literally uh, says it there, and it's it's interesting, right? I love when there's a crossover there between real historical figures and mm-hmm. and uh, fictional ones. All right, back to Una. We get to the door opening, and Gail for the first time sees Kale, and she knows Kale by the pictures and her own studying of of her uh, book, which is the one I think that was given to her in season one mm-hmm. by her family friend who is thrown to the bottom of Synax's ocean. I do I, believe so, yeah. Callie's holding something here, and aside from it being her main key light for the scene, <laughs> um, I don't know what the purpose of it is. She says that she's able to create a persistent digital um, form for Harry. Mm-hmm. that she doesn't have to stay. But we don't know much about Kale here, and we don't leave the episode knowing much more other than she seems to have some incredible power in terms of, um, I mean, she literally is resurrecting Harry in this episode. Yeah, she, and I, I don't really know how or what or what he is at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of thought maybe the thing she was carrying was kind of like the Prime Radiant. Not, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but in the way that Gail was able to put harry in the prime radiant maybe this is some other like portable device that can sustain his his consciousness Hmm. all right let's go to corvell or corell corell 
Let's go to Corel on the Wassalian Rift. We meet Hober Mallow, who is pretending to be a traitor by the name of Ponyet. Okay, mm -hmm. now Ponyet is a separate character from the Foundation novel. Okay, he's known as a trickster. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they have combined the series, instead of doing two characters, it seems they have combined the character of Hober Mallow and Ponyet into one character. All right? Yeah. Um, I don't know much more about Ponyet other than what uh, him being kind of a, a trickster as we see in this episode. Yeah. But it's uh, everyone who's read the books, at least that I've seen on Reddit, and there's no spoilers on anything that I'm saying here, seems to enjoy the creative decision to combine these two characters into one. It's like an alternate personality of his. Yeah, no, it's like combining the serious strategic side of Hober Mallow with the more uh, devilish, you know, rebellious side of Ponyets, right? Okay. All right. And then we get the somebody who's... We kept on calling him like a Han Solo type, right? But then yeah. we know that Star Wars is heavily based on Foundation and so... A lot of people out there are saying that George took inspiration from the traitor characters in Foundation for Han Solo, and they mentioned Han Solo's dismissal of religion, ease at pulling a gun on someone, concentrating on the bottom line. Even the fact he is Corellian takes inspiration from Hober Mallow, who faced off with, I guess, with the Corellians here, right? Ah. So it's an interesting uh, crossover of uh, of inspiration there. It's a it's a nice kind of like reference for the fans and the mention of Ponyets would have only been known to a book reader. Got it. Now, I, yeah, I, I didn't catch the name at all. I wasn't quite sure who he was referring to, but no, I, I think that's really interesting. And yeah, I say, you know, he reminds me of Han Solo, but that's because I've watched Star Wars before I've read the book. I know that the books came out before Star Wars, so technically it's the other way around. Yeah, we yeah. both were doing it. I think it's just yeah. natural because foundation if you didn't read the books is just one of those things where we use star wars as the the as canon the, the, for, and yeah. the, the archetypes for different characters right yeah well he is uh trying to pedal off an item on this uh commander what, emperor what is this guy uh i had heard him called like what your royalty or some, Com commodore, something like that it was commodore on. argo that's his name, Commodore Argo, according to okay. IMDb. Um, yeah, he's trying to sell this thing, but really it's just a, a way to get the eye of Corel off the planet. And uh, mm -hmm. he gets caught in the process of doing that and gets arrested. Mm -hmm. He does. It, he's got like a nice quantum entanglement device is what I understood that was. Yeah. I, I, it makes me interested to know if that's something that is will be a consistent part of his character, that device, or whether that's just something for this scene, because it's a pretty useful device. It's useful, but I think by the end of the episode, he loses the other half. You sure? Isn't it still on the uh, this Argo guy? The bracelet? Well, remember, the device isn't activated by the bracelet. It's activated by the thing that was in his mouth. Yes. Yeah, but... Um, the other piece of it is on the bracelet that, that Argo is wearing, oh, is my understanding. maybe it's replaceable. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know if he would leave that bit behind. If it was <laughs> it, super it does important. seem very valuable. I'd want that in my back pocket. Yeah. Well, let's head on over to Trantor where Belrios faces Day, choosing to look like a prisoner and doing so to remind Day of the fate that he left him to. 
And Dave breaks down his mission that he wants him to go on to pretty much find out whether the foundation is a threat to him. Now, it's at this point where Belrios asks for a private conversation with Day, to which point Don and Dusk look just about as fed up as they ever have with the shenanigans of Day here. Mm -hmm. Thoughts on those two and what's to come? Because I just don't see them laying down to this rogue emperor who's going to disregard the entire Cleonic dynasty and the cloning dynasty that they have going. Well, I mean, Dusk is on his way out, so I don't know you know, how, how much he's truly going to care about this. But it's, I mean, if I were Don, legacy. it is, it is. If I were Don, I'd, I'd be really pissed because I'd be losing all of the power of the universe, really. Well, think about it. Dusk is his main mentor, right? Mm-hmm. So, this mentor has allowed his pupil to go absolutely, you know, crazy. Okay. Yeah. And then Don is the guy having his entire future legacy ripped from him. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting the way that they're trained though because dusk really does train dawn um not yes. so much train day right like i mean, he he's kind of like a consult on things right like but in the first season we see a lot of the interaction True. between dusk and dawn and like those are the two that kind of buddy up so whoever would have been brother darkness in this that has been uh vaporized was this day's yes mentor you're absolutely- that's that's perfectly correct there. Um, Berrios refuses to strike Day, which is the right political decision at this point because this entire mm-hmm. scene really is dedicated to finding out whether Berrios is still a capable and strong leader and whether mm-hmm. he is loyal enough to be trusted with this mission. Yeah. If Day really wanted to make this decision harder for him though, he should have like giving Bell Rios some sign of life from Glaywin because to Bell's point, right, he's been dead for six years to him. He doesn't really know that he's alive. It could still be a lie. It still could be a lie, yes. But I think that this guy is an honorable individual and he doesn't have just Glaywin's life to worry about. In fact, he's willing to not give a crap about Glaywin's life because he's at this point lived for six years, which I think mm-hmm. is a bluff, by the way. I just think that... um it's not just Glaywin, it's it's his soldiers, right? Yeah. If Glay if not Glaywin, if uh Belrios decided to join the foundation with his the loyalty that the troops have to him, mm-hmm. that could pose a serious issue for the Empire. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why watching watching part of the scene with, with Belrios talking today, he kind of reminded me a lot of Jack Sparrow. Um, just the way that he kind of like walked and talked a little bit there. Was, I thought it was funny. And like the emaciated prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Belrios reunites with Glaywin, seeing that he's alive. I'm not convinced that this is necessarily Glaywin yet. I mean, they do have cloning powers. Could this be just a ploy to further control and test his loyalty to the Empire? I, I don't know. What do you I, think? I don't think so. I... <laughs> I feel like Day bluffs a lot, right? Like, I, I feel like what we saw in the first season, I, I forgot her name, but the, the one that was working to get at, at that time. Yeah, Azura, thank you. I don't think he killed everybody that would have ever known her. I feel like that was just a bluff. Like, as long as she believes it, it's true. And she's not going to be able to move. She's just going to live in like this tortured life forever and shrouded. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like they just, they bluff a lot, right? Like, so I would imagine that this really is Glaywin. 
Do you think Azura's still alive? I don't know. I I don't I don't think being shrouded like no, but it's the same using... thing as being in cryo. Like I think being shrouded. I mean, you just you can't hear anything, can't see anything, can't smell anything. Like that's it. Like it's just like you're, you're sensory deprived, but you're still living. But he said he was in a keeper artificially alive for uh, like in perpetuity. Well, then maybe, maybe, I, would, maybe I'm forgetting that. That part. would be crazy if she was she comes alive. back here somehow. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna see like a glimpse of her when somebody's like going to prison at some point later like in the season, <laughs> like an Easter egg or something. Yeah. All right. Um, he reunites with Glaywin and. Demerzel and Day have this romantic, strange moment. I still can't tell if Demerzel's actually in today or whether this is just an elaborate, elaborate scheme of hers to unravel the Empire. I can't tell either, but all I know is, man, it is weird. I think like she's it's, into it's him. It's very bizarre. I think, I think she's into him because... Ah, no, I can't, I can't fully say that because the most of... If she wanted to... If she wanted the empire to be successful, this this day would have been already killed, right? Yeah. Um, if now, if she wants the empire done away with and to fall apart, then she would let this day live because he will definitely bring down this empire if he continues down. He's literally yeah. going to bring it down by the marriage. Oh, yeah. I, I, I still don't know what her motives are. I just think, I think something's off. Whether the something is she loves him or she's, you know, vying for the destruction of uh, this empire, I'm not quite sure. I did want to call out because we had been asking this question a few times over the last couple episodes. Is she still wearing the stone? And she, as you can see it on her wrist in this scene mm. where she's kind of rubbing, uh, rubbing Day's head here. Great catch. Thank you. So she still has her faith there. And um I, you know, she's gotta be almost twelve. I mean, maybe she we know she's over eleven thousand years old. Mm-hmm. Does she just wanna die? I don't know. <laughs> uh I mean, she's been through so much death with, you know being by the side of every empire every day or dusk at that point um she did kind of seem to be sick of it but maybe maybe because they're no longer like true clones she's seen them in a different you know a different way right like mm-hmm. maybe they're more real and that's why she's able to be attached to them but i don't i don't really think that's true because this is the first day that has been with her since the first, right? Mm-hmm. The first Cleon. True. So I little little uncertain about about that. Yeah. Back to Una's world, uh Gail returns. We get that trailer scene of her hiking up and we now know it's from this planet that mm-hmm. we see that scene. She returns to describe the craziness that she saw Kale to Salvor and explains what's going on there. Now Salvor mentions getting a real negative sense that something's wrong with this planet, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, something's wrong. She's also scared by this version of Harry. If we know anything about Savor, she has this very strong intuition, this strong intuitive sense that something's wrong. And it mm-hmm. makes me wonder if there's something deeper here. In fact, think about it. If God came to you, you know, and mm-hmm. was like, go to Una's world. Yeah. Of all the worlds, like, why is this one significant? You know, so perhaps there's a deeper secret there. I don't know if they're going to go uh, deeper into this, but 
there has to be a secret here why the Radiant calls this home base for her resurrection project of of bringing Harry back to life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I still want to know what this Kale is. Um, yeah. I, I, I still think it's a little confusing with, you know, is she alive? Is she not alive? These miners don't go after her until the very end. Well, they, they actually never go after Kale. They go after Gale and Salvor and then eventually seemingly Harry as well. Yeah. Gale and Salvor decide to leave the planet without Harry and to go start the second foundation without him mm. because he's been gone for past the six hours that he said he was going to be gone. It's interesting to me, you know, because, you know, Gale and Salvor up to this point in this season feel like side, just really just sideshows. Really, mm -hmm. they're just devices to get Harry from point A to point B because it's, they're kind of in the dark on almost everything. So, yeah. I did want to make a note that while they were sitting there and um, talking on the beggars, like little ramp, you could see both sides of Gail's neck and it 100% was a thumb on one side and four fingers on the other. Yeah. That's, so, it has to be the meal. Yeah, for sure. Unless Harry tried to choke her out. And <laughs> I mean, who knows? He, he's probably a little psychotic at this point. Yeah. I think he would have done it by now. <laughs> um, we go to Corel, which the scene becomes, you know, the whole situation here in Corel is kind of growing on me, right? It's still, you know, it's a ridiculous execution scene. By the way, the city and the planet looks really cool itself. Mm -hmm. And they have this giant titan's prick device that is yep. their main means of executing people it's a <laughs> horrific it. way to go but Polly shows up with probably the most hilarious reaction of the episode this guy has just traveled across <laughs> the galaxy <laughs> to find out the guy he needs to save and bring back to his planet is about to be executed mm -hmm. and uh it's a pretty hilarious scene uh in terms of just everything going on because i think anybody watching it knows that this guy's not gonna die here yeah, yeah. The, the entire time I was watching this, I was like, there's no way he's going to die. We're not going to get introduced to a character and have them killed off this quickly. So, the entire time I'm watching this, I'm like, all right, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I'm like, let me guess. He's going to swap bodies somehow with this yeah, yeah. Argo guy. What do you think of Constant? Like, Because when he's about to get executed here, Constant says, in the name of the galactic spirit, we submit ourselves. They know the, this religion is a sham. Do they? Yeah. Although perhaps, and this is leaning towards my greater point of the episode, perhaps the religion started a sham because Harry's a man. So you can't base, you know, if you know this about Harry and we know it about Harry, right? Mm -hmm. We know that he is not on the level of the radiant, right? Yeah. But perhaps their religion started as a sham, but it now seem, that there seems to be an actual galactic spirit now with this Kali being. So perhaps it's not entirely a sham. Yeah, it may not be. I mean, they just believe in the wrong thing, right? Like they believe in Harry. <laughs> um, yes. And, you know, I don't really know what this Calais spirit, as, as you call it, it really has to do with, you know, the, the foundations that Harry's trying to put together or, or the outcome. I just, she just seems like this being that exists that just has a vast wealth of knowledge. I don't really know like how much of that we're going to see and you know how involved her character might be but if they were going to worship anything it seems like you would want to worship uh worship her yeah 
of you know if you had to choose between her and Harry. Mm-hmm. Well, Hober gives this impassioned speech before uh, activating the body switch device that is located within his mouth, mm-hmm. and he takes over for Commander Argos or Commodore Argos. Uh, position on that little floating device, a Mr. Eggman looking device. Yeah. And uh, takes not only his rare vintage back, but takes the eye of Corel with it and goes to steal Pauly's ship. <laughs> but not before Pauly and Constant get on and are able to subdue Hober and redirect the ship to Terminus, which mm-hmm. Hober does not want to travel to. Yeah. So that's, it's going to be interesting. I, I still don't know if that's Harry asking for him. I, I don't, Harry doesn't seem to me like he is aware of anything that's actually going on outside of the vault ever, at least not in not in the first season. Yeah. All right, on to Trantor. Belrios is awaiting his reuniting with his 20th fleet that is completely loyal to him. And this is the reason I'm suspicious of Glaywin, because at this point, you are being monitored at all times by the Empire. Okay, mm. he consistently tries to get Bell to run away here, and to me, I think that this guy is possibly just a pawn. He's a constant test of this guy's loyalty to the emperor. Think about it. This is an emperor who's always going to be concerned with the coup led by Bell, and it, it's a it's a historical type of pattern throughout history, right? You know, mm-hmm. the Belisarius and Justinian situation. You have uh, Saul who wanted to kill David, right? When he comes back from uh, winning battles and killing, you know, Saul killed his thousands, David killed his thousands, or his hundreds, David killed his thousands of thousands, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, you have the king who's scared of their most loyal servant, and the loyal servant doesn't turn their back or actually ever um, choose to kill the king, right? Yeah. In this case, you have Bell who is concerned with the trillions who are under the thumb of the empire because he knows that they're all disposable to the emperor, while right now he is indispensable to the emperor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I think Glay is uh, like an informant. I, I don't really think that. I, I mean, I get why he would want to run away. Mm-hmm. Right? They have the ship. Let's get away. We have people at our disposal. The Empire was not kind to us. Yeah. I get it. How cool is a spaceport, man, on the rings? The CGI is just insane. I mean... It's incredible. Almost anything on here could be a desktop background. Somebody made a comment, like, almost every frame in this episode could be a freaking desktop background. Yeah. And, you know, I I hate to keep comparing this to Star Wars because, I mean, yes, it should really be the other way around. But, you know, we were visually able to see Star Wars before we were visually able to see this. Um, I think it, it just it reminds me so much of it. Like, and I, I mean, I like it. Like, I'm I'm totally fine with it. I think these uh, little stations and ships look pretty badass. Um, and you know, I, I had also mentioned on the uh, instant reaction once we get into this bridge and we start to see all of the crew here. I'm I'm also getting a bit of Star Trek in here. We get to, Star we get to see these these uniforms, these colored uniforms, yeah. and I mean that. The dynamic group that we see in here just feels a lot like Star Trek to me. That's that's what it reminded me of when he's going back to the whatever you would call this, like the uh, the deck the bridge, or, you know, or the whatever. bridge, the bridge. That's what it is. Uh, he meets a spacer. The spacer is really interesting to me because it's, this she's not a, a robot. She is definitely like a 
species of sorts, and there's mm-hmm. got to be planets with these the species of spacers. She mentions that the Empire has a solid, like a vice grip on on her species, and she alludes it to having something to do with the material called opalesque that Bell was mining on the Lepsis colony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe she's like a cyborg. Yeah, or something like that. I did don't know. Did you catch they're jumping somewhere? But do you know where they're jumping towards? They they did mention the planet, but I do not catch the name of it. Yeah. All right. Well, rounding out the episode, we go back to Una's world where Gale and Saw prepare to leave, but not before the ship falls through a very thin layer of uh, land, I guess, because they pretty much activate one of those autonomous miners that creates this action sequence that they need to now avoid being uh, killed by these miners. Yeah. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't want to avoid being killed by him too. Yeah. That was a, also very convenient timing for the ship to just drop through the earth. Like that could have happened literally at any moment. Yeah, 100%. Probably most likely when they land and obviously second most likely when they take off. sitting there. <laughs> but then again, it's the plan, right? It's yeah. the, uh, the Radiance plan. Everything here does not seem like a mistake in the foundation, but... Before leaving, they do escape, but the miners, their attention is focused on a new life form that is detected, right? Because these miners are dis- are hardwired to go after and kill any life form that they find. They have these crazy lasers that they shoot out. And the life form they're detecting is on the hand of the statue that mm-hmm. Gale just climbed down from. Turns out that it's Harry, and now he has a physical body, and Gale before repelling up with Harry's body, sees Kale disappearing behind the eyelid yeah. of this statue. Um, Kale is of a different, we don't know what she is. She's closest to describe as some sort of, she has the power of life and death, it seems, to bring somebody back like that. Now, there's lots of theories out there, and I know you have some about, could Harry be something else? Not entirely human, mm-hmm. but I, it might be too soon to conclusively say one way or the other. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I kind of think that Kala here, I don't think she's alive, right? Like not like flesh and blood or yeah. anything like that. And I mean, if, if, I, if you think about it, it kind of seems like a, a genius hideout, right? Like if, if you are really more of like a hologram, or something along those lines that exists on this planet. You can do whatever you need without a physical body because you're in a, you're in some sort of self-sustaining environment. You have tons of protection all across the planet because if anything alive comes to you, like they're going to eventually get to attack it. You made a good point of her not being alive. Whatever Savor did in crashing down in there set off the sensors of this miner. But the mm-hmm. miner still detects this life form on the planet. Yeah. If Kale was a life form, would she not also have been detected? Yeah. It seems like it's a different type of, of being all entirely, which leads me to my grand points of the entire episode. Make this okay. big stink about Harry and his plan. We make this big stink that Harry created psychohistory. Perhaps Harry didn't create psychohistory nor this plan. Perhaps he just discovered psychohistory. And the plan is bigger than him. Perhaps the Radiant chose him and not the other way around. Perhaps the Radiant was always sentient. That this is like a god like, this is the god of the Foundation universe, right? Mm. Maybe that's what's really going on here. And not 
that Harry created this and that his being became sentient? Well, I I don't know if it's so much that the Prime Radiant chose him. And the reason why I'm not quite sure about that is because earlier in the episode when we had, I guess, initially gotten to Una's world, I believe is when it was, Harry's talking to Gail and mentions that Yana, his, you know, life, love, partner, whatever, they birthed the Prime Radiant and she was also able to read the Prime Radiant. So it could be that they... They built this device. I mean, and the device is basically, again, my understanding is is a bunch of different like types of maths that come together, and they they've basically built an algorithm, right? Like it's a it's a predictive model, and it takes in data, it takes in information around them. So, I don't know if I agree on that one. Well, perhaps if I if I describe it crudely, but mathematics, you you discover it. I mean, it's in, it's invented, but it's also discovering something deeper. Because it makes mm-hmm. sense. You can measure it. It's, you know, same with science. I mean, like, they discovered gravity. They didn't invent it, you know. It's yeah. Those equate, like, major equations, you know, Einstein's equations. I'm not a physicist. I'm just saying, I just watched Oppenheimer, so maybe I have a bachelor's <laughs> degree in physics now. But uh, these are things that are discovered that to be truths. Otherwise, they wouldn't make sense, right? Yeah. But they also have to simultaneously be invented by someone. So, that's why it makes me think, I mean, this is the first time where Harry wakes up and he says, I don't know how I have a body. He also doesn't know how to explain Salvor and Gail's intuition. Mm-hmm. So there's things he doesn't know, which leans, lends sort of like this idea that perhaps um, he's not really in charge of the plan. Maybe he's just facilitating it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, and Harry's completely out of his element in this season. I think he will remain to be out, out of his element because everything that he knew, everything that he was planning for is completely different. Like well, it's, it's changed. In the religious sense, he's literally a prophet because the prophet is the mouthpiece of God. He's relaying the message of God to the people, right? Mm-hmm. This plan is the message of God to the people, right? Mm-hmm. It's the plan of thriving. This is the way humanity survives, right? So yeah. Harry, in a sense, is is truly a prophet of sorts because he created the plan or he understands the psychohistory plan. And now he is, he has his understudies in Gale and others who become, you know, missionaries or, you know, believers in the plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, did you have any other thoughts on the, uh, the comedic events that we got? Uh, no, I just thought it was introducing us to his, to Hober Mallow and, um, it didn't rub me the wrong way as much as it did in the in the first first watch, and it didn't really too much. It was just one of those things where everything else felt so serious, and this was so mm-hmm. lighthearted, you know. Yeah, no, it it, it definitely did feel a lot uh, more lighthearted compared to the rest of it. On on second watch here, it is less offensive to me. Um, I, I mean, I like the darker world, the darker universe that we're getting here. Seeing something just so bright and happy, and uh, you know, even even uh, the planet with Sewell, right? Or some was so, that the name of it? Sewena. Sewena. Thank you. I was thinking I mixed uh, Corel and and Sewena at the same time. Sewena was also very like, I don't know. It was it was very funny to me. So it's not going to ruin it, but I I want to continue with a more serious tone. Like that's really what I want to see. Like little little bits of humor here and there from characters like Hober Mallow, I will appreciate. I just don't want to see like an entire planet. Like to your point, don't give me the bar from Star Wars. <laughs> well, you know right, what? Just so give, me, give me a funny character. I will say this, and this is my critique on Last of Us. Um, 
Last of Us was, I'm not going to spoil anything if you haven't watched it, it's on HBO. It's a, it's a decent show. Uh, great video game. Mm-hmm. What saves you in the video game is that you have actual gameplay. There's things there. But in the show, it's just one tragic, sad note after another. It's literally, if they do a second season, I, I kind of already put my, my flag in the ground. I, like, I don't want to cover it. Yeah. You know, simply because I played the second game. I, I beat it. I know what that, what that game is. Same. It's not something I'm interested in in commentating on. Um, this, I think you need the comedy, man, to mix in with the darkness of the universe as well. And so I think if that's what Hober Mallow brings to the table, he's going to now intersect with the seriousness because these mm-hmm. are his escapades, right? These are yeah. like the adventures he gets up to, right? So I think now you're going to see kind of like a kind of reduced version of that like how does he fit in the foundation how is he gonna fit in with tight ass cermak who has like a stick up his butt with that freaking sith cloak maybe hober will actually finally make a joke about whatever it is in the background in that room mm-hmm. you know and i think that's needed in the show 100 percent. yeah well i i definitely would appreciate you know seeing uh, hober mallow go through this like i said already like i'm totally fine with having a a bright and funny character i just don't want these massive like planets and worlds to just feel goofy right like that that's not something that i want to see but yeah good episode all right let's get into the categories let's do it let's start with favorite character uh can i say a tie sure why not i only wrote one down though all right i to me it's between uh bell rios and um hober mallow simply because the performance from bell rios is uh, was incredible in the episode. I just mm-hmm. thought the range of different emotions that he showed in the episode was like just through his eyes was was pretty incredible. Yeah, my my favorite was one hundred percent Bell Rios. Yeah. yeah. All right, favorite scene. I'm always a sucker for the escaping death scene, and you know Damn it's you. like so the comedic scene is you know is in my mind because it reminds me almost of like. Pirates of the Caribbean reference. You will remember this day as the day you almost <laughs> caught Captain Jack Sparrow. You know, it's kind of yeah. like that with Howard Mallow. So I, I want to say another tie between his escape, like the actual comedic uh, body switch. Yeah. And the Demerzel Belrios negotiation. Okay. But the one that I wrote down, even though I'm, I'm kind of uh, crapping on some of the comedic elements of the show was death by titan's prick i, th- I thought that yeah. was just it, it was funny right like that i i did laugh okay i'm not saying i hate it yeah, i yeah. enjoyed it it was funny yeah. i just don't want to see a ton of it I, I want i want there to be some seriousness in this uh in this season you want your you want your titan's prick in moderation I guess. exactly yeah you can only take so much of it yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> favorite <laughs> line that's what she said <clears throat> Favorite line, uh, the emperors are hollow men who hollow out their worlds. This was the one I wrote down. Okay. I got two. Okay. One one was uh, Harry's line to Gail. She, she, she kind of seems pretty close-minded, and I thought this was, was a little funny comment he made. He, was, he said, open a wall, it becomes a door. And then uh, we also got Belrios talking to Day. And he calls him out. He says, you're an arrogant bully. And if you brought me here just to kill me, then you're an idiot as well. That's a great line. Yeah. I also like Paulie's description of Hober Mallow where he goes, 
A man who views any prohibition as a personal challenge if it's forbidden, Hober traffics in it. <laughs> it sets the uh, sets the tone for for Hober. Mm-hmm. All right, that about does it, right? That does it, man. Thank you all Sasha for tuning Lou. in. Thank you all for tuning into the deep dive this week for season two, episode three of Foundation. We hope you enjoyed it. Leave us a comment of what your favorite moment from the episode was and how you're enjoying our show as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned for our midweek coverage of Invasion. Highly recommend you check out that show if you haven't yet, if you love a good old alien invasion story, even though it may terrify you as Congress meets and reports potentially findings of a secret alien body that they have recovered. I don't really That's believe what I that. Heard. I don't really believe that. I think that was just like a cover up for hiding the fact that the, the Fed just uh, raised interest rates up like ridiculously. <laughs> but, you know, anyways... Nonetheless, if you do believe it, Invasion is the show for you. Or if you don't, it's also the show for you. So, all right. As always, like, subscribe. Hit us with a review. We love reading them. We love reading them even more if they're five stars. We do. Zach, to your outro, sir. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Foundation on Story Archives. You can find this podcast anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We are on YouTube at Soapbox Podcast Network. We've got a bunch of different playlists over there for the different shows that we've been covering. You can visit our website at soapbox.house, email us at contact at soapbox.house, and there are a couple of links in the description below. One is to sign up for our quarterly newsletter, and the other is a survey. We are asking for some feedback as we continue to shape and grow the network. Perfect. All right, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, please respect and enjoy the peace. Peace.